All right, I need a couple of volunteers who don't mind getting their hands dirty. No, I gotta let the big kids play now. All right. All right, Mr. Josh. All right, now I need another volunteer. Anybody else want to volunteer? Or Kevin? Hey, I'll be the big kid. This looks like fun. This looks like fun. All right. So, Kevin, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put this together. All right? Josh, I want you to take this, you and Zach, take this apart. Okay? There's some tools there behind you. All right? Finish taking it apart. Oh, we got a problem already. You got a problem already? Yeah. Why? Because it ain't laid on my right. What do you mean it ain't laid on my right? It's not my job. You fix it. <laughs> But you took it apart, right? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Do what? You found it in the garage? I took off my tractor. I forgot why it doesn't get fuel. <laughs> well, because the carburetor is This is double duty, right? So, uh, all right. So, what's the book of Genesis about? The beginning. Okay, creation. It's the beginning. Beginnings of the world, the beginnings of mankind, the beginnings of a nation, right? What's the book of Exodus about? Leaving. We have a sign up there that reminds us. Exiting, okay? They, they, they're leaving the promised land where God grew them and they, they're exiting, or not, they're leaving Egypt where God grew them, okay, and leading them to the promised land. I'll get it right here in a second. Uh, the book of Leviticus, that's kind of a weird book and it's really hard to read sometimes, okay? What's that about? Lost. The laws, okay? And if you, if you think about it, a lot of us checked out in church, okay, uh, especially around 10th grade when it started laws, okay, when we started talking about laws and doing this and doing that. Because most of us, most of us, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, want to do what we want to do when we want to do it and how we want to do it, right? I mean, that's just, that's our nature. I, I know that. So now also think about this. Uh, God gave them the law, right, because they were kingdom people. He, they're his chosen people. And he wanted to help them in, in living life. Uh, the book of Psalms, you already said, what, what's it about? Psalms, all right? There's actually five books, individual books in the Psalms. Uh, and if you'll notice, if some of your Bibles will have that as you're flipping through, it'll say book one, a little bit later, say book two, book three. It's like the top five hymnals, okay, of, of Israel's top songs, all right? It would be like the top 40, uh, 50, or 100, 150. So divided into five books. And uh, a lot of them were written by, uh, some of them were written by David, okay, during his journey, a man for God's own heart. Uh, a lot of them were written by other uh, kings and other leaders, okay. And then some of them we have no clue who, who wrote them, but they uh, do talk about uh, God in that uh, inspiration. Um, there is uh, a book following Psalms, it's called Proverbs, right? And what does Proverbs help us with? Wisdom. Wisdom, okay. And then there's a book following that called Ecclesiastes. And that's like a really weird uh, name for a book. But the whole book about Ecclesiastes, I just want to tell you a second, is it's a journal. It's a journal of Solomon. And it's, it's a very interesting and a wise read because Solomon, we believe, is one of the wisest men that ever lived. Now, let me back up a second. Uh, there is a book in the Bible, there are actually two books in the Bible uh, named after women. Do you know who, who they are? Esther. Ruth and Esther. Okay? And both of those almost didn't make the Bible because they were named after women. Okay? Esther 
especially because it doesn't even mention God's name at all. It's not there. You can look for Jehovah. Uh, you can look for all kinds of different names of God. It's not there. And it almost didn't make the Bible when men were putting it together. You know, think, think of that for a minute. Um, and then let's, let's jump to uh, the New Testament because there is an Old Testament and a New Testament. All right? Uh, you know how many years were between uh, the last book in the Bible and the first book in the New Testament? 400 years. 400 years of silence that God did not speak. Okay, now, now some of, of denominations have in their Bible, they have the Apocrypha. Okay, and the Apocrypha is uh, a book of writings that happened during that 400 years. There's books in there called the Maccabees, and it's talked about the Maccabees as they tried to overthrow uh, Greek and Grecian and, and Roman empires, uh, trying to gain back Israel's freedom. How you guys doing? You don't have any food. <laughs> Socket sets and we're sharing. Well, there's a nut driver in there. We need a flathead. He's yeah, using it. Oh, there's only one flathead. Yeah. 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 I thought I packed that over. Kevin, hurry up. All right, and then uh, we jump to Matthew. Uh, Matthew is the first book in the Bible, but did you know that it's not the first book? Nope. That was Mark. If you look, if you look at the timelines and the history when the when the letters were written, what's the first book in the New Testament written? That's the first gospel written. What's the first book in the New Testament written? Nope. You're getting close. Starts with a G. Galatians was actually the first book, the first letter written. Okay. Mark is the first gospel written. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they explain. The, uh, the story of Jesus, okay? Uh, the book of Acts describes the, the beginnings of the church as it began to grow. And then you have letters to different churches like Ephesus, uh, Philippi, um, and then James, the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote a book. Uh, there are some books that, that we don't know who wrote, like Hebrews. Uh, how many books did Paul write? Does anybody know? More than three. Less than 19. 15. 15. A little more than 15. I have 17. That's it. All right. 17 books. Paul wrote 17 books. Okay. Uh, man, that, that guy just must have been cranking out. No. There's more. He was in prison a lot, so I guess he had a lot of time. Uh, now think about this. How many books in the Old Testament? 30. 32 more. 39. Okay. And 20... Seven in, in the New Testament makes up sixty what six individual letters that were written, and, and over time they were compiled into what we consider the Bible, okay, which is still the bestseller, all right, uh, of all time. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, what would have been very helpful? Now uh, you've got this together, right? Sure. <laughs> There's still something wrong with it, but he got it together. Uh, come here, Kevin. How did you know to put this together? Because it was in pieces. He just looked at it and it goes together. Have you ever messed with this before? It's a fuel pump, all right? So he, he knew what it was. Have you ever taken one apart before? Maybe. Maybe? All right. Now, this is an old-style fuel pump. I mean, this was the kind that back in the cars in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 
and uh, some of the early 70s that if you had a, a pair of pliers and a screwdriver, uh, you could break the back tire, the spare tire down on your car, pull the inner tube out, and replace the little diaphragm in here, and keep going, which people have told me they did from Arkansas to California on trips when the fuel pump went out. So, uh, have you ever looked at a manual? You, you didn't pick up the manual and look at it. There's a manual. So there is a manual, all right? There is a manual, and would it would it have helped you? Okay, so it would troubleshoot why this thing is not working. So you didn't put it together. All right, thank you very much. I didn't tear it apart. Are you guys done yet? Taking out bolt after bolt. Taking out bolt after bolt. All right. As we have been talking about, one of the things that I want you to understand, we've been talking about core values, we'll let them work. They're thinking. Right. Um, is that the local church should be irresistible. Okay? That the local church should be irresistible. Uh, any typical Sunday morning, right, people should get up and the first number one choice in their minds are, we should go to church. I, I mean, men should should be like, why go to the lake? We can go to church, okay? In America, men and women and children, I mean, children should be going up to the parents, pull on their shirt towns, is it time to go to church? Is it time to go to church yet? I mean, church should be very irresistible. And everyone in America should desire that. But you know what? They don't, do they? Okay. We, we know that that's not the case. In fact, people drive by churches all week long with not a desire to go in. People drive by churches on Sunday morning going to their respective places, wherever they're going, and they don't have the desire to, I want to check out that church one day. You know, I don't have people driving by here coming in during the week going, what's Mosaic? And once in a great while, I'll have somebody who pulled up to go to Fatigue to look in and go, huh, I don't know if that's a church or not because it's a mosaic. What's a mosaic? Okay. And so um, it's interesting in, in that idea. But here's the deal. It's not that they're against church. And it's not even that they don't necessarily believe in God. It's the idea that church seems irrelevant. To their lifestyle. Church seems uh, to be marginalized. Like it, it's really not that big of a deal. I remember, and I've told you this before, sitting as a uh, seventh grader in a, in a concert here at Sound Springs, the Fine Arts Building, and uh, it was, they did a school presentation during the day, and they did a rock concert that night, and so I wanted to go. It was my first concert ever. And I get there, and they go through the concert singing really cool songs, and at the end, at the end, they announced to the whole group, because it wasn't a school function, it was a concert that they were doing, and at the end of their concert, right before their final song, they let it known to everybody there that they were a Christian, not band, they were just a Christian group. They were all Christians, and, and they loved doing what, what they loved to do. And the, the auditorium just roared with applause that these men had the, the gall to say that they're Christian. Because it, you know, it seemed like everybody there, and I'm looking around at people that I know 
that are not living a Christian lifestyle. And I'm looking around them going, you're applauding? You're excited about this? But you don't even live that way. But there is something about Jesus, there is something about the Bible, there is something about those who stand up and, and they really live out the Christian life that we're drawn to, right? There's something about when Jesus is lifted up that we're drawn to. And so, the reason, the reason that we think that people should want to go to church is because that's the way Jesus was. In fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the accounts of Jesus' life, okay, show us that Jesus was irresistible. I mean, you either loved Jesus or you hated Him, and even the ones that hated Him still followed Him to find out what He was talking about. They still followed Him around. Sure, they tried to set Him up, and, and but there was something about Jesus that, I mean, why didn't they just leave Him alone? You know, it, why did the religious leaders who didn't like what Jesus said and even thought that Jesus was breaking the law and He was uh, dissing God in the way that He was, why didn't they just quit? But the Bible keeps saying thousands of people followed Him. And so there was something about Jesus that, that was irresistible. Even the people who didn't agree with Him followed Him. I mean, think about it. Judas? He had a plan. And he thought Jesus and him were on the same page, but they weren't, but he still followed them. You know, you couldn't ignore Jesus in that day. He was not a neutral topic. He was not even a safe topic to talk about. A lot of emotion was associated with Jesus. There's a story in one of the Gospels that they were so mad at what Jesus was saying that they grabbed him up and they were carrying him to a cliff to throw him off and, and the Bible says that, uh, that Jesus turned and walked backwards and they get to the cliff throwing Jesus off and they go, where'd he go? I mean, there was some emotion, right? If they're that mad to throw Jesus off of a cliff, they're emotionally uh, involved, emotionally charged. Now, people should be drawn to the local assembly. And, and it's not us trying to live out the mission of Jesus which we should, but it's also that we should um, live out His personality. Now, I know that growing up we were told, be like Jesus. There's no way we can be like Jesus. But there's things about Jesus' life that we look into, that we look into and we go, oh, I like how Jesus responded to that. I like how Jesus uh, shared with that. I like how Jesus handled that situation. And we can mimic that. We can take that on. We can kind of uh, take that in and go, you know, I, I want to, to be like that. Okay? So we should live out Jesus in such a way that His personality is shown that draws people. You know, people should be drawn to local assembly and feel the freedom to say, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about what they're teaching. I'm not even sure if I believe what that preacher is saying. But there is something about coming here that makes me want to come back. There's, you know, I'm not sure I believe what they're teaching, but there's something in here that's happening that wants me to bring my children back. So there's something that draws us, okay, uh, to Jesus. There's something that should draw us uh, to Christ. I mean, some of, some of people are not even Christian because it just freaks them out. But there is something about it that they want to be a part of. That kind of local church is what we want to be, okay? 
that God's intent, okay, that God's intent that in Christ, that when He was leaving, He made a promise. And He didn't make many promises, but Jesus made a promise when He was leaving. He said that I'm going to, on you guys, I'm going to build my what? Church, okay? And nothing is going to stand in its way. Nothing is going to stand in its way. And the church is going to be my body. It's going to be my ears and my nose and, and, and my hands and my fingers and my toes. The church is my body. And so that's the mission and that's our task. Now as we're working and talking through our uh, core values as an organization, this is, uh, this is one that I don't want us uh, in all of our core values, and especially this one, I don't want us to become complacent. You know, especially when success happens, you kind of forget, you know, what brought you there and, and, and what keeps you going. So we, we become uh, complacent. And because the, of the success that we've had so far, I thought it would be important for us at this time to kind of go back over the core values that when we got together with 20 of us, sat down and, and realized God wanted us to start a, a fellowship called Mosaic, that we began to put together uh, some of the core values that we felt would be important as an organization to live out the mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. Now, when I, I mentioned to you this uh, core value, some of you may even yawn. You know, it's like, oh yeah, okay. Of course he's going to bring that up, okay? And so today's value is given in a way that uh, I don't want us to drift from it. You pass by a lot of churches today that have drifted from this. And because they've drift, drifted from this value, they've become irrelevant. They've become they've become resistible. That people are like, oh, I don't want to go in there. Okay? And so we believe, this is what we believe, and one of the core values that we put together is that biblical authority is very important for us as an organization. Okay? Many churches you pass drifted away from this element and become irresistible, or have become resistible and irrelevant. We believe in biblical authority. In this organization, we believe that the Bible, okay, this Bible that has been put together is the ultimate authority for this organization. And many of us believe that this is the ultimate authority for our individual lives. Now we believe that this book is written by 40 some odd authors, okay, over a period of several thousand years on three different continents and inspired by the, the breath or the Holy Spirit of God as he directed men what to write down. Now, his laws and his instructions on how to live life, okay, his laws and his instructions that he's given us will help us in marriage, okay, will help us in uh, finances, in sexuality, in relationships, in business partnerships, in every facet of life. And that life is as good as it can get when we follow under the authority of God's Word. But that's the problem, right? Because all of us, all of us, because I know this about me, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I really don't want people telling me what to do or how to live my life. I mean, isn't that why we moved out? Okay. Isn't that why we went to college, why we went and got an apartment? 
so that we would quit telling our parent, you know, our parents would quit tell us what to do. You know, the funny thing about it, for those of us that have matured and kind of grown up, we look back and go, wow, it was only mom and dad that was telling us what to do. Now I've got like 50-somethings, you know, people, 50 dozen people telling me what to do. I have federal agencies every year coming and telling me what I should do. I live in a house. I, I'm paying for this house. It's my house. But I have an agency that comes to me and says, no, you need to pay this much in order to live there. But it's my, no, it's not. You think it's your house, but it's really not. I mean, the whole idea that we have all of these different people that are dozens are telling us, okay, that uh, what to do. I mean, our cities tell us what to do. We, we built our house in Lincoln as we were building and we, there was already a garage on that shop, okay, uh, or on that place. And it was a little lot, and we bought it from uh, father-in-law, and we began to build this house. We wanted, we thought about moving a trailer house in, and my dad and, and Marcia's dad said, no, you don't want to mess with the trailer house. We can actually help you build a house, you know, and so we did. We thought, okay, right, let's do that. You know, hey, anything, just let's have a house. And so uh, we moved into a 24-foot Airstream trailer with two uh, children and we began to pound nails and so it was interesting I had to get permission to build this house and so my dad we're, we're getting things together we got the loan uh, they, they told us they told us that it was approved but we had to come back and sign papers and my dad was like we got to get started it's like uh, the middle of June and we better hurry because it's going to start raining soon you know, in the fall, so you know, it's going to take you a while to build this house, so let's try to get things going. And so we got the backhoe out there, dug the footings, poured the, the foundation, and uh, started putting things up, and then the bank called us and said, hey, you need to come in and sign paperwork, and so we come in, signed all the paperwork in the land, and the banker said, have you started any of the construction yet? Oh, yeah, and hey, we've got the foundation poured. I was excited, man, we're ready to go up. I'm just ready for that wood truck to come. And she goes, you shouldn't have done that. And I bowed up. I, I was just like, you don't tell me what to do, woman. That wasn't Marsha. It was the banker lady. <laughs> I told her, I said, I'm going to build this house with you or without you. She goes, but you can't do that. You have to Now you have to go back to everybody that started work on it, anybody that you owe money to, or even if you paid them off, and they've got to sign a, a release of lien. Because we don't want to to get to the end of this building project and someone come back and go, wait a minute, Mike owes me such and such dollars. We have people that tell us what to do all the time. And in everywhere we turn, we have people telling us what to do. We have more bosses and more authority over us now than we ever did as a child. Amen, parents? That was a little weak. Amen. But there is something, there is something in me that resists authority. There's something in you that resists authority. I want total autonomy, right? That's why I became a preacher, right? I get to do what I want when I want. No. The whole idea is we want total autonomy that I can do what I want, when I want, wherever I want, and no consequences, right? No consequences. And you're right, that's not going to happen. But isn't that what we want? We want maximum freedom. We live in America. We want maximum freedom. We want to be free. Now, maybe you even moved here and gone to college like at JBU and, and you got out of the house and it brought you freedom. All right? 
Maybe, maybe you got married so you could have freedom. Alright? And then all of you know, all the married people are laughing, alright? And, and the whole idea is because after a little bit, all of a sudden that, that beautiful spouse that you married and you thought, hey, we, we're gonna live on love and do life together, we're just gonna do whatever we want, we're gonna be free, you know. All of a sudden we start bumping into each other and kind of go, wait, wait a minute. I, I kind of wanted to go do this, but she's saying I need to do this, and she's like, I want to go do this, and he's going, No, you're not, you know. I'm the authority of the house. All right. So the whole idea is that we want to gain freedom. And that's what we're on. We are on a freedom quest. <laughs> now, that's not to say that you're not against authority. You like authority. Because you want the people around you to be under authority. And it's not like you're against the law. Because you want the people around you to be under some laws and limits. Just as long as we can do what we want to do when we want to. Amen. Alright? So the whole idea is when we come down to this, it's not like we're against authority or we're against the rules, okay? We just want to be the exception. You know, I want my friends to, to obey some law. I want my children to obey my laws and rules, okay? I just want me to have the exception. And I feel at times, especially at times, when I feel like, oh, that law doesn't really apply to me. You know, one of the, one of the things that I bump up against every, almost every day is my drive home. My drive home, I, I go down by the academy a lot of times. Now, when I first moved to Gentry and we moved into that house, when we come down by the academy from uh, Arcotech Road, there was a yield sign, which made sense because the road kind of curved and you just kind of merged in, all right? And then they paved the road. And the competent people of Benton County who were paving the road switched the signs. Because it kind of wide. There, there was a drop down and there was a stop sign there and you went this way and there was a yield sign there and they swapped them. And so you're telling me, I come to a T and I get the yield and go on, but I come down to what, would be, what was my yield and, and I got to stop? And there are always... My family always on me. You didn't stop. You didn't stop. It's because inside I'm blowing up going, those people didn't do it right, you know? This doesn't apply to me. I'm watching the direct. I don't see anybody coming, you know? Now, if somebody's coming, I'll stop. I want them to hit me, you know? But most of the time, we feel like, I, I'll obey the limits, I'll obey the authority when it, when it applies. But there's a lot of times now, I'm older, I'm wiser, I understand more than my kids do. You know, I can speed a little bit. I can control the car better than they can. You know, I don't have to stop at all the stop signs. I hate stopping at stop signs. I think there should be traffic circles everywhere we go, you know? Just keep going around. That's awesome, all right? But the whole idea is that... <laughs> you guys all right? Almost broke my toe. Okay, all right. So, good. Good, you're right. So, that's what happens when we come to church. When we come to Christianity, we have the idea that all of a sudden, you know, I don't want to be a Christian, and rightly so. Because not only, not only are they going to interfere into my public life and how I should live, they're going to interfere into my private life and what I should think and what I should see and, and what I allow, you know, myself to do in my private life. 
I don't want to become a Christian. I don't want to be under the authority of God. I don't want to listen to the Bible because it's a bunch of rules that say, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, you know? I mean, every major religion in the world has three rules. Do this, don't do this, and if you do, don't, if you do the don't, then you're going to be toast, okay? I mean, that's the idea. Do it, don't do it, or you're toast. And that's the way it happens. And so here, when it comes to Christianity, we think of that same way. Because how many times did we grow up and, and listen to church, vacation Bible school, Sunday school, all that stuff, and they tell us, don't do this. Don't do that. We get the idea that God is up in heaven as an angry father, grandfather, pointing his finger at us going, don't do that. I'm not going to let you in. That's the idea. And But here's the deal. Becoming a Christian is a little like moving in with mom and dad again. Yeah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, uh, it, it's the idea that now they're involved in my personal life, okay? They're too close. Now they under, you know, they think, and, and there's accountability. I'm my own person. I should be able to come and go when I please. I'm like, no, I need to know when you're coming home. If I should stay up late or if I should have the phone. You know, they don't understand all that stuff. But that's completely understandable when we accept until the time we run into Jesus. As we run into Jesus, in this book, there are four accounts of Jesus' life. And what's interesting in the, in the fact of Jesus' life is that His life accounts and, and shows us this principle of being under authority. And it's so powerfully done. Your whole life, in the way that you live, would never bump into this principle. Okay? You could spend your whole life even skirting around this principle. And you wonder why all these consequences are happening in your life. And you don't understand it. Why you're having to face the different consequences life seems to bring. But Jesus' entire life illustrates this principle. This principle. That maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Not from underneath, not from out from underneath His authority. But Jesus was the freest person to ever live. And you're going, yeah, because He was God. He could do everything He wanted. Now think about this. Jesus was the freest person who ever lived. Because He got to choose. He got to choose where and when He would die. We don't get that choice, do we? He got to choose where and when he would die. Not only that, he had the freedom to take his life back up again. He was the freest man that ever lived. He understood the principle that maximum freedom is found under the authority of God. Jesus had the ability to choose when he would give up his life. I mean, think about it. Pilate, right at the end, was telling Jesus, don't you understand that I have the authority to grant you freedom or to take your life? And Jesus is going, no you don't. 
No, I already knew. I already chose this point. Yeah, I think that's why, like, even in front of Herod, he was silent. He didn't say anything. And that drove them insane. Why wouldn't this guy say something? If he's really God, I mean, didn't they tell him? If you're really God, you'd come down off that cross. He'd go, no, I chose this. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Jesus' life. That's the way he lived. Look at John chapter 5, verse 30. John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus says this. I can do what? Nothing on my what? Here's she and your women. This is God. This is, this is God's Son. This is God who put on flesh. And He is saying, I can do nothing. Okay? I can do nothing on my own. And we would go, but you're Jesus. You have power. You can do all kinds of things. You can raise the dead. You can heal the sick. You can turn water into wine. But the whole idea is Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. He goes on and he says, as I what? Here. Here. As I listen. As I hear, I judge. Now who's he hearing? My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who what? Sent me. He's listening to God, and he is making his comments, his judgment, upon what God is telling him to do. He is living his life from day to day based upon what the Father, under the authority of who he's living, is telling him what to do and when to do and how to do it. Even what to say. Don't you get it frust don't you get frustrated when when someone that you love very close to you corrects you in the phrase? Or you mean this when, when you said this? You know, and we want to we want, you know, catch him and, and, and stepping out and doing saying something that was wrong. Now you totally messed that up. Let me tell you how to you know say that, you know. We get frustrated when people tell us what to say, right? We do. Here is Jesus, and Jesus is saying, I won't. I will not. I can't. Not that he could, okay, in his own strength. But I won't step over the authority of God and do what I want to do. Even to the point in the garden, in his last prayer to the Father, not his last prayer, but the one that really we would go on, while we're really hearing the intimacy of God, uh, Jesus with the Father, and he says, not my will, but whose be done? The Father's. Not my will, but the Father's be done. Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way that you can take this cup and pass it from me, that I don't have to go through it, but it's not what I want. God, it's what you want. So I can do nothing on my own. As I'm here, I do. As I hear, this is what I do. As I hear, this is what I pronounce. By myself, I can do nothing. Jesus understood that to move out from underneath God's authority, okay, moved Him away from freedom. When we move out from underneath God's authority, we move away from freedom. Now we equate freedom with life. And we say that as a Christian, when we accept Christ, we get eternal life. And, and the whole idea is that you understand 
and, and I understand this, that when we sin, okay, as Christians, we grew up with sin leads, uh, sin is death, right? But get this, we understand that when we sin, that leads to death. When we sin, that leads to captivity. When we sin, that leads to jail time, right? I, I mean, the whole idea... You've seen the death of your finances because you didn't do it under the authority of God. You've seen the death of relationships because you, you saw them handle without the authority of God. You've seen the death of, of friendships. You've seen the death of all kinds of stuff because of what sin had led you into. And Jesus understood that to move out from under God's authority moved away from freedom. Sin is what binds us up. And we are free because He made us free. Okay? But it's what I want to do when I want to do it. But Jesus would, would say, I know that. But that's not freedom. Not to please myself, but Him who sent me, Jesus said. So look at it like this. Not only did Jesus' life under God's authority, okay? Not only did Jesus live His life under God's authority, but look at Matthew uh, chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what Jesus said. Because the, the, the religious leaders were saying, Jesus, you're disobeying God, you're breaking the law, you're doing all this stuff. But here's what Jesus said. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. Okay? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. In other words, Jesus did have the Old Testament. He had 39 books there. I mean, there was a point where Jesus walked into the, to the synagogue, the local assembly, and he got to read Scripture. It was his day. And the Scripture was opened up to Isaiah 61. And he read through Isaiah 61. That pretty much says, I'll sum it up like this, preach the good news, heal the sick, and drive out evil. And it talks about the one who is bringing freedom for those who are captive. Okay? He's bringing oil uh, of, of gladness, okay, in, instead of mourning. And, and so uh, he, he looks at it, and he sets down, and before he sets down, he says this. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody did a what? You're talking about yourself as God here. And Jesus said, yes, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Now we know that the law helps us when we obey. And we understand that when we disobey the law, then that brings captivity. And in captivity, that's no fun, is it? You know, I've already told you my stories. I'm working the jail manager from the inside out. Just not, hopefully I don't have to do that too often. But, but the whole idea, the whole idea is that when we come to the point of understanding, you know, if I obey the law, my life seems to go off pretty good. If, if I drive the speed limit and obey the traffic laws, they don't have a tendency to bother me. Now, sometimes they get frustrated in the semi-truck because in the semi-truck, they can pull me over any time and check any of my paperwork, whether I'm doing anything wrong or not. But I did have a cop pull me over one time. I come down uh, 412, and I was coming into Tawny Town. There's that big drop where you go down, and they like to sit right there. 
and I'm coming around and I'm, I'm obeying the speed limit, I'm going the law, I'm, I, and I move over just a little bit to kind of miss that, to get in the center of that bridge so I don't bounce like crazy, you know? And then I'm going up and, and all of a sudden I see lights behind me. And he pulls me over and he walks up and he didn't even ask to see my driver's license. He goes, yeah, hey man, I appreciate your your obeying the speed limit. I just wanted to let you know you've you've got a tail light out. Because I, I noticed that you hit your brakes and, and one of your tail lights are not working. Just wanted to let you know. Alright, I'm not getting a ticket. Yes! <laughs> He's not hauling me to jail. You know, I talked to a logger the other day, he was hauling logs all the way to Texas. And he said he'd get to Commerce, Texas, and he and he's trying to bypass Dallas in, in business traffic at five o'clock traffic. So he, he takes a big loop around and he comes up and he saw that the road turn uh, intersection maybe he had to make a left to get on the right road that he needed to get on and he couldn't get that 18 wheeler over into the right lane and so he kind of slowed down, gave his signal, started looking and he started to go over no one was coming. All of a sudden a car come flying around him and he didn't know where the car came from. Hit the median, uh, bounced through it, got back on the road and kept going. He goes ahead and makes the left turn and he goes on down the road and the cop pulls him over. And the cop said, you made an illegal left turn. And he goes, yeah, I know, because I couldn't get over like I was supposed to and, and you know, nobody was coming. And, and he goes, what about the car? I said, I don't know where that car came from. He goes, I'm arresting you for making an illegal left turn. Spent the night in jail. That sounds like me, you know, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me that time. But just the whole idea that when we obey the law, it brings freedom life we have the maximum freedom that we can live under the authority of God we have the maximum freedom that, that life has to offer under the authority of Scripture even Jesus modeled that himself in saying I can do nothing except what my father leads me to do and I didn't come to throw out the law and say y'all you don't need this anymore but I came to fulfill it to the point that you have complete freedom now to live in grace. You don't have to obey the law to get to heaven. Jesus said there's no way you can do that. He gave a couple examples. Men, you look upon a woman and you're like, wow, you lust after her? He goes, you've committed adultery already. You know, everybody, he goes, if you say that, you know, you love, you know, God, but you say you hate your brother, then you've already committed murder in your heart. There's no way. But Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law in its completeness by choosing when I would lay down my life for you and when I would pick it back up. I want to give you that same freedom that under God's authority, you can experience life to the full. That's why I love the scripture, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give you life to the full. So under his authority, do we understand? Now, guys, how you doing? Alright, now put it back together. <laughs> Guys, give it up for these guys. Didn't they do that? <laughs> Here's your bucket of towels. You clean off. Now, um, um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's adult proof. It's challenge proof.
<laughs> now, when I was your age, um, my dad said, you need to build a carburetor. I'm like, carburetor scared me to death because this, car, this carburetor is actually one of the hardest, not the hardest, it's one of the hardest to rebuild, all right? It's a Holly. Um, it, it's a, uh, what we call a double pumper, back in the old window. It's a four barrel. Now, you'd like to have it on your truck, but I'm not going to let you know. The interesting thing is they scared me to death to rebuild the carburetor. <laughs> but until I found a book. And uh, it has a thing in here on carburetor adjustments, overhaul, replacement, and specification. All right? So that is found on 233. Alright. Mission control. That's not what I want. Oh, there we go. Alright. There's a carburetor. That's a VB carburetor, 2700 VB. Not shown. Um, oh, here we go. Look at that. Doesn't that look similar? Power is 2300. Alright, there we go. Alright, so we have a carburetor, and in that carburetor, it begins to show us all the different specs of how, well one, one thing I look at is how it's broke down. Now, I got pretty good at breaking something down and putting it back together if I could do it within the same day, okay? And, or sometimes within the week. I mean, it, just the idea that I could kind of remember what I was going through. But, I still needed the book. I still needed the instruction. Because not only was it simply put it back together, there are these things in here, like this, for example. These are the bolts. This is a float, okay? And this float regulates how much fuel is in the bowl. And if this float sticks, it either will not allow fuel into it, and it's like the car's out of gas, or if it sticks open, it'll just keep dumping raw fuel into the motor, and you get all that black smoke and it coughs and it won't run at all, okay? It just, it's like it's not out of gas, but it's way too much. And so there were measurements that we needed to, uh, to find and, and figure out how to bend that little flange. And, and then there's all these ports, I mean, all kinds of ports that are through there, and jets, and, and, and we had to figure all this out, power valves and butterflies, and, and we'd, hit, you know, we'd put it in cleaner, and we'd clean it out, and we would change it up, and then, to put it back together. Yeah, because you got you threw all these nuts and bolts down in one pile, and I don't know which one goes where. <laughs> it's a small table. But even sometimes the diagram doesn't help me out because it doesn't show me which boat goes where or what size the boat goes where. So then I have to kind of guess and measure and do all this stuff, and, and so it's going to take me longer. Now, sometimes people go through life the same way. They can go through without God. They can go through without Scripture. And we wonder why sometimes when life just blows up on us, how do they do it? How do they do it? Well, it'll take them longer, but they'll work at it, and they'll measure, and they'll put all this stuff, and they'll figure it out, and uh, they'll do whatever they can do to try to make it work. And sometimes it doesn't. But you know what? Same thing happens to the Christian. Sometimes 
We try to obey God's law. We try to do what God says. We go to church. We pray. We do all this stuff. And life blows up. And the first thing a Christian does, God, why did you do that to me? When, when Jesus said in, in the Word, by living under the authority of God, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. You're going to be tempted in every way that everybody's tempted in. But there isn't a way of escape. Through Christ, in the temptation. But now the troubles and trials you have, you're going to have more trials and more troubles than you ever deemed possible. You're going to have more people telling you what to do that you wish wouldn't tell you what to do. And you're like, under all this different authority, but when you follow the authority of Christ, I love what Paul says when he's writing to Philemon. He says, you should be an example above all in the way that you handle those who are under the authority of you. And those who are under authority of kings and bosses, Peter says this, you should be such an example in the way that you live your life that people will want to hire you because they heard you were a Christian and the way that you live your life is so exemplary, is such an example, alright, is such an example that it shows the personality of Christ in a way that draws people to you. Because you're showing them who Jesus is. And that's why I love when Jesus said, you know, when you lift up the Son of Man, Jesus said, I will draw all men to myself. Your job is just to lift me up, show me off under His authority. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, we praise You that You have given us the opportunity to have a book that You inspired through Your Holy Spirit that helps us with life, that is relevant today and tomorrow as it was a thousand years ago. Lord, I, I thank You so much that You have provided a way for us to, to get a little glimpse of what it's like to be a kingdom person. So Lord, I pray that You would help us to live under Your authority in such a way that it shows you off to those around us. Not just because we get the maximum freedom out of it, but because we understand in humility how awesome a God that you are. And that it's our desire not to resist you, but to follow. In Jesus' name we pray.